Masechet Megillah, Daf 25, and with this we'll be completing the third pedic, with lots of laws about appropriate and inappropriate types of prayers, as well as various parshiot in the Torah and the Haftarah, that some of them one may say, someone, some one we may not, uh, we may not recite, and some we may recite but not translate. So, so a lot of very, very interesting topics and laws uh, in this last stuff. Mishnah. Chazanim in those days uh, didn't uh, simply read a sidur. Uh, they would, there was some flexibility. Uh, Chazan would uh, come in and they either compose uh, a section, a poem, uh, or recite from uh, you know a few different uh, different po- poems that were uh, that were around. And so, therefore, uh, Chazan comes in and says the following in his prayer: "May the good bless you, Hashem." So we do not allow him. We say, this is a way of heresy. Now, what's wrong? It sounds like a nice thing, right? May the good bless you. Problem is, is he's only including the good people as part of the congregation, as part of the nation. And so how about the, how about the, uh, the, the evildoers or people that are, are sinners? Uh, are they worship, should they worship a different God? Uh, does Hashem not care about them? Are they not part of the congregation? It's a beautiful Rashi here. It says, um, just like in the Ketoret, you have some nice uh, smelling spices. Some of the Ketoret are uh, foul smelling spices, but when you put them together, then it makes a beautiful thing. So to the congregation, we have to be inclusive of everyone. And uh, otherwise, we're being divisive. And if we're divisive of people, then you know, you're, that, that means you're saying, oh, only we uh, praise God, but not anybody else. Okay. Uh, so these are also uh, negative. Someone says, as praise, Hashem, your mercy extends to a bird's nest, um, referring to the law that one has to shoo away a bird before taking its, uh, its uh, chicks or eggs so that the mother will not feel, um, feel uh, suffering. Uh, so that shows Hashem's mercy. Now, that does definitely seem to be the reason for the mitzvot. Nevertheless, a chazan may not say this formula. The Gemara will explain a couple of reasons why. And also, uh, may your name be mentioned for good, Hashem. That's no good, because we're only going to praise Hashem for good. And what about bad in the world? Is that caused by some other force? Uh, by uh, by some demon, by some evil god, right? So this uh, will smack of dualism. We have to bless Hashem for the good and the bad, at least what we perceive as bad. Modim, um, modim. If someone says modim twice, we also silence him, right? We say, sorry, you can't be chazan anymore because uh, it means that he is uh, saying modim to two different powers uh, in the world, a good God, a bad God. Th- th- this was not just a theoretical worry of the rabbis. There were lots of groups back then that were dualists. So one of them were called Gnostics with a G and uh, Zoroastrians had, had uh, uh, were, were, were dualists and uh, you know lot, lots of people. Um, I mean, it just, it made sense if you want to uh, try to explain why there's bad in the world to say that there's a competition between the good force and the, and the evil force. However, uh, monotheism demands that everything comes from Hashem, and therefore that creates the question, well, why does Hashem allow bad things to happen, which is a really important question. Nevertheless, we still have to acknowledge um, Hashem for good and for bad, and so all these prayers are um, not valid.
המכנה בעריות משתקין אותו. When someone is reading the parasha of the עריות, like we read on Yom Kippur afternoon, um, and the person is going to replace the words that sound, uh, um, uh, that, that sound harsh with euphemisms. Now, the truth is the Torah already use, uses euphemisms when it says, uh, um, do not reveal the nakedness of one's mother. Um, so even revealing nakedness is a euphemism for an actual act. Uh, and nevertheless, this person, he wants to, even that is, uh, he feels is too harsh, and he, he replaces it with other kinds of euphemisms. He'll say, a person should not shame his mother and father in public by saying uh, negative things about them. Uh, this is not, not good, um, because these are laws, and people have to know what the laws are clearly. And uh, if you give uh, one if you give one a different interpretation, then they might not know the actual law, or you're giving a punishment. Though those are serious punishments, the adayot, they're karet and chayav bita. So now you're going to say, oh, if someone shames uh, a parent in public, is that chayav mita? So then you're mixing up legal categories, and so it's nice to use euphemisms in general, but not when you're reading Torah and teaching the law. So not only changing the words, but also mistranslating into Aramaic. So the Torah says, do not give of your seed over to Molech. Now, the, uh, un- the proper understanding is one should not take one's child, that's the seed as your child, and, and give it to Molech, an idol. Uh, the way Molech was worshipped is people would pass the child through fire, usually not killing him, uh, but rather just a symbolic carrying the, carrying the child uh, between, uh, between fires or, or, or passing quickly over a fire. Um, so that is the way this idol is worshipped, and that is not, not allowed. If someone translates, translates it differently, in a way, actually ultra-literally, meaning one's seed, one should not give to a molech worshiper, meaning an Aramean, someone who worships uh, Abodah Zarah, because thereby he will impregnate her and have a child. And who's going to bring up the child? Well, the mother is going to teach the child to do idolatry. And so that is a, that's a really bad thing to do. Okay, now this is true that it's a bad thing to do. Nevertheless, it's not the correct interpretation of the law. And these are different levels of punishment. And so you have to interpret it correctly and not just because uh, you, know, you want to feel like teaching a different lesson. Uh, maybe, that, maybe it's even more relevant. Nevertheless, the law has to be expl- uh, read and interpreted precisely. Good. Now we're going to explain. If someone's modim twice, we understand that looks like he thinks there are two powers in heaven. If he says, I, we, we, we mention you for good, Hashem, so for good, yes, and for, if for bad, you're not going to acknowledge God. We saw Mishnah Berachot. That one, by the way, the, most of this Mishnah has a whole parallel, and the following suya is paralleled in Berachot also. Um, so we learn there, someone has to bless God for bad that happens, like we say, if we hear a loved one passes, we say, Baruch Dayan Ha'emet, right? And so we're not, we're not happy that this happened. We're not saying thank you for, uh, for taking the person away, but we say we acknowledge that you are a 
true judge and that your, the procedure uh, that you followed is correct. And so we're not uh, accusing Hashem of, uh, of, any, um, uh, of any misdeed or being uh, unjust in any way. And so we, we acknowledge, and that's the sense of blessing for evil, that it comes from Hashem. Um, just like we bless Hashem for something good. Something good happens. We say, uh, and so many other berachot on good things. So we understand those. But what's wrong with the prayer to say, Hashem, you are, you are merciful on a bird's nest. It seems like that's a nice thing to say. Two explanations. In the West, and then it's Israel, there's two opinions. Uh, they both have to be by two different Rebiyoses. The first one is that one is making the God's creations jealous. Uh, if you say, Hashem, you care so much about a bird and his, and his nest. So then the other animals and the fish will say, wait, Hashem, how come you didn't make a law of protecting us? How come we don't care about us? You only care about the birds and the, and, and the nest. Okay, the truth is there are uh, two other laws that are similar to, the, to this, that you can't cook a kid in its mother's milk and kill a uh, animal and a child on the same day. Um, but they all also only apply to certain cases. Um, but there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of violence out in the wild and uh, you know, lions killing, uh, killing uh, sheep and things like that. Um, so uh, this is creating jealousy in the world. Now, I don't think we could, we should take this literally that the, the, the fish and the lions are going to feel uh, jealous, uh, but rather when, when we see it, we see uh, that there is uh, an imbalance in, in, even in nature. And so you're going to say, Hashem, you know, everything in, in nature is mercy. You, your mercy extends to all of nature. Yeah, but then to birds. But that implies, because we know that there are a lot of things in nature that can be quite violent. And so does Hashem not govern that as well? Um, so we sense, we feel a sense of uh, uh, injustice, perhaps. And I think a deeper reason, and this will, uh, will, I'll support it in a minute, is that maybe the other beings that are feel jealous are us. Um, in other words, Hashem, you care so much about a, a bird, right? But look at me. I'm, uh, you know, there's someone coming after me. Uh, I, I feel sick. I feel uh, I have uh, some needs. Um, I feel hungry. Hashem, you don't care about me. And so this is uh, creating jealousy, uh, imbalance, and implying that Hashem cares only about some uh, of his creations, but not others. Okay, it is acknowledging, however, that the reason for the mitzvah of Shiloh uh, HaKan of, um, uh, is because we, uh, we care about the feelings of a bird. Hashem cares about the feelings of the bird. Okay, second. Because this makes the attributes of Hashem to be only mercy. Mercy certainly is one of the very, very important attributes of Hashem. We say it all the time. Um, but in fact, there are nothing but decrees, because Hashem said so. Now, there's a famous, a famous and important Rashi here that takes the word midotav to refer to mitzvotav, that Hashem's commandments are not given because of mercy. They're not because uh, to, to have uh, mercy on the bird or any reason, but rather these are gezerot. When Hashem gives commandments, there's no reason for them. 
accept that, you should obey. We are Hashem's servants, and we do it because Hashem said so. And if you're still going to start giving reasons, then you say, oh, well, this makes sense to me. I'll feel like doing it. That doesn't make sense. I don't feel like doing it. Therefore, you should not attribute any reasons to commandments. Okay, that's a famous Rashi about uh, not giving reasons for commandments. Um, many others disagree. Rambam gives reasons for every commandment and so on. Um, however, I don't think that's the Peshat of this Gemara because it says Midotav, not Mitzvotav. Um, and uh, instead, uh, I think that this is, is also referring to a kind of dualism that you're saying, Hashem, look how you're good to the birds and, um, uh, and implying that uh, if Hashem doesn't make a, a similar law about uh, other animals or other beings or fish or whatever, then Hashem is not merciful to them. So, you know, one of Hashem's attributes is mercy, but he also has an attribute of justice. And so this is uh, kind of implying a sense of dualism. Okay, this is quoted about the West. And in the fact in the Yerushalmi, there are a couple of, um, uh, of reasons that are similar to this, but in slightly different formulation. And I wrote an article about that if anyone's interested. So one time there was a Shalir Sibur in front of Rabbah, and he said, Hashem, uh, you show him you care about the, the bird's nest. So please have mercy on us. And uh, uh, also, Hashem, you care about a, an animal and a child that you can't kill an animal and its offspring on the same day. So please have mercy on us. Rabba, who was the sage there, says, oh, what a, what a fantastic prayer. Look how this chazan knows how to appease, appease his, his, his creator. Um, so he's saying this is good. Then Abaye was Rabba's student. And he says, Wait a second, our Mishnah says that you're supposed to quiet him. Now, how could, how could Abaye have the audacity to correct his teacher from a Mishnah? Um, actually, uh, most manuscripts don't say Rabba here, but Rava with an Aleph. And Rava and Abaye were contemporaries. They, were, they studied together. And so that would, I think, um, make more sense there. Uh, so, Rabba or Rava, Oh, Rabba. Rabbi knew the Mishnah, he knew that uh, this, but he was only saying this to test Abaye. See, I was just testing to see if you were paying attention. Um, so he said, oh, isn't that a good prayer? He wanted to see if Abaye caught it, because maybe I, I, I guess he was expecting Abaye to kind of react somehow, and Abaye didn't react. This is, you know, didn't you notice that? Um, so, uh, so he said, yes, he did. He did notice it. He passed that test. Okay, what you see here is that what's the what's the problem? It's not that it's not that Hashem doesn't have mercy on animals and birds. The problem is in, in this prayer that it's an insinuation saying, Hashem, you care about these birds, you care about the animals, care about us, right? It's like um, you know, it, it's a it, it's a saying that Hashem, you don't care. It, it's uh, implying that Hashem, you don't care about us. And this is an improper prayer. It's not not pertinent. Not it's not respectful. And that seems to be. Uh, the, the, the problem, and I think this story explain, helps explain uh, what the statements above uh, meant about jealousy. Okay, now we mentioned one story about an improper prayer in front of a rabbi. Here's another one. He's saying, you know, the Amida, when we, when we say, and he keeps going, he wants to, you know, give more praise to Hashem. So, you know, he takes out his thesaurus and he finds more, more words and says, you're also powerful and strong and fearless. 
and maybe it keeps going. And so Amar Le, Rabbi Hanina, tells the Chazan, when he's done, he says, okay, you finished praising your master, you, you uh, exhausted all the praise that you can give, and you've sufficiently um, uh, um, uh, understand Hashem, that you have full praise, this is the only reason why we can even say the three, Gadol, Gibor, Vanora, is because if Moshe wrote it in the Torah. If Moshe had not written the Torah, and if the men of the great assembly had not established it to be said in our prayers, we rely on that precedent. Moshe said it. Okay, fine. I'll, then we can say it too, right? The great, if, uh, if the greatest prophet can say this, these words, then we know that, that it's okay. And the rabbis told us that it's okay. That's the why. That's the only reason we said it. But if not, if they didn't say it, tell us to say it and tell us to say it, we would not even be able to praise Hashem at all. Because anytime you're praising Hashem, you're in danger of missing words and not praising sufficiently, not praising properly. How can, uh, how can we praise an infinite and transcendent being? And you go and add words improper. Like let someone say someone has thousands and thousands of golden coins and someone says and comes, oh, you have so many silver coins. That'll be an insult, right? You ask um, uh, Bill Gates, what is it like to have a million dollars? Wow, you, you're so rich. This is a million. That's will be a, that's a impoverished person uh, compared to him. So that would not be praise, but rather a dishonor. And so too, we even to say any praise about Hashem is actually much much less than anything that we can imagine. So we only rely on the words of the Navi and and authorized by the rabbis to put them in the pre, in the prayer. Good. Amar Rabbi Chanina. Rabbi Chanina says something else. Since we mentioned him, Hakobi de Shamaim, Chutzmirat Shamaim, famous statement everything is in the hands of heaven except for fear of heaven. In other words, we don't decide our fate regarding how tall we're going to be or or uh, you know what our IQ is and and whether we were born in this country or rich or poor all these things are are decided in heaven except for the fear of heaven right whatever talents uh, one has whatever uh, deficiencies one has whatever challenges one has it's up to each person to decide to use it for good or use it for bad to have yirat shamayim or not so there is there is uh, some free will but not total free will not everything is up some things are fate and some things are free will, which is precisely what the, the, the Pharisees said in the second Bet HaMikdash, Rabbi Chanina continues that same belief, right? After all, when Moshe, Moshe tells B'nai Israel, what does Hashem ask for you except to fear Hashem, right? That's, that's all that's in your power. Everything else, you know, right? Hashem's not asking you to do, go do uh, miracles to solve world peace. Just uh, do what's in within your domain to handle, and that is Yerat Shamaim. <clears throat> okay, good. Mikela, question on this pasuk. Mikela, Wait a second. How does Moshe say, what does Hashem ask from you but this? Like, you know, what am I asking? I'm asking you a little favor. What am I asking you? Just can I borrow a dollar? I'm not asking you for a million dollars. That sounds like it's a small thing. But is Yerat Hashem a small thing that Hashem, he should say? What does Hashem ask? 
And we say, in לגבי משה רבן מלטה זוטרתהי, משל אדם שמקשין ממנו ממנו כלי גדול, ויש לו, דומה עליו ככלי חתן, yeah, for, from the perspective of Moshe, having fear of Hashem was a small thing. Moshe was on such a high level, he, he felt like, yeah, this is an easy thing. Anybody can do this, right? For example, someone uh, who you ask him to borrow a large vessel, and he has, he has a large vessel. So this is, this is a small favor. Whereas um, if you ask someone for a small vessel, it seems like it's a simpler, a simpler request. But if a person doesn't have it, then it seems like a very big request, right? If you get a, if you have a, get a bill for a thousand dollars, but you have money in the bank, so okay, so you pay the bill easy. If you get a bill for ten dollars and you don't have a, you don't have even ten dollars, then it's like, oh no, how am I going to pay this bill? It's so big. Um, so too for Moshe, this was a small matter, even though for everyone else, having Yerat Hashem is a really big matter. Okay, it's a, a it's a, a nice statement. It's not the Peshat though. The Peshat is, right, Hashem says, what does Hashem want from you except um, actually goes on and asks quite a lot of things, but here's the key at the end, right, Hashem is asking all these things for her own good. This is opposed to, as opposed to Avodah Zarah, where in, in idol worship, they people they they believe that the uh, gods ask from people to sacrifice their their firstborn to give over a lot of money and and uh, they think the gods eat they have to give a lot of uh, a lot of sacrifices those have to give a lot to because to 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 satisfy their gods appetites that is difficult but this is simple because after all. The last pasuk, Hashem owns everything in the heavens and earth. He doesn't need anything from you. Everything Hashem asks us is for our own good. It's like a teacher. Maybe you'll be very demanding on, on the students, but it's not because the teacher gains anything from it. It's only for your own good. So it is, it is, um, it is a tall task, but something that is uh, that everyone can do. It's reachable. And since it's for our own good anyway, um, therefore, it's a, a small matter. Okay, I think that is the, the Peshat of the Pasuk. Okay, Amar Bizera, Hamer Shema Shema Kamer Modim Modim Dameh. Bizera says, if you say Shema twice, that's the same as saying Modim twice. Sounds like, even though in Shema we say Hashem is one, but if you say it twice, it sounds, it sounds like you're saying, uh, this Hashem is this, this God that I praise is one, and this other one, you're also one. And so that's not appropriate. In fact, you can look throughout the tefillah, although we often repeat Pesukim in different places, like Hashem Melech, we say it twice, or Hashem Elohim, we say it twice or seven times, but we never say Shema twice in a row. Okay. We have a Braita. <laughs> it says different. It says someone who says Shema twice, it's reprehensible. But reprehensible is less than silencing him. And Abizara says the same as Modim Modim, and that would mean you should silence him. It's reprehensible, but not so, not so bad as to silence the person. Not a contradiction. When we said it's reprehensible, that's when he said word by word. He said, Shema, Shema, Hashem, Hashem, Elokenu, Elokenu. So in that case, it's like he has a stutter. He's not, he's not doing a great job as, as being a chazan, um, but it doesn't sound like he's talking to two different gods. Whereas if he says the whole pasuk, and then it says the whole pasuk again, 
that sounds like he finished. What are you, why are you saying it again? Now it sounds like now he might be turning to a different being and saying uh, another praise to that one. And so that is worse. And that's what, where we apply Meshat Kinoto. Papa says, wait, why is it reprehensible? Uh, a wise or 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 depending on how you say it, that it's uh you you silence him. Maybe the first time he said it, he didn't have he didn't have kavana, right? Sometimes you you say shema. Oh look, I just said shema. I covered my eyes and everything, but I was thinking about something else. I'm gonna go back. I'm gonna say it again, and this time I'm gonna have intention. So that should be praiseworthy that he goes back and says it again. All right, it's a very nice thing to do. This is, no, that's not appropriate. Can be? Can someone consider the heavens to be his friend? To be so familiar that I say, "Oh, let me let me try it again." Right? Uh, uh, you know, and and in heaven they'll have patience and you know wait for you to take your time to decide to have kavana. No. If a person doesn't have attention and keeps doing it, then we should beat him with a hammer, blacksmith's hammer, until he focuses his attention. Not literally going to beat him, but the point is that pay attention the first time. Uh, you know, if uh, if someone is uh, practicing violin and they're practicing in front, if they're, they're your friend, it's okay. They can practice, they do it again. But if they're going and giving a big concert and they you know, start playing, it says, ah, I wasn't focusing, I wasn't playing well, I'm going to start from the beginning. Right? Nobody would ever uh, buy tickets to that performer again. You're on stage here. Right? Hashem is listening. So pay attention and have kavanah the first time. And therefore, even if he goes back uh, in order to have better kavanah, that's still reprehensible for Shema. Have kavanah the first time. Someone uses euphemisms when um, reading the the, uh, the, 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 the laws of forbidden relations. For example, instead of saying reveals the nakedness, nakedness of his mother, he says uh, the shame of his mother. Um, that might be it. And Yerushalmi it says it's different that he's uh, making a third person. Instead of Ervat Avicha or Ervat Immecha, your mother, it says his mother, right? Aviv in the third person. And so uh, it's, it's very nice to not want to use harsh language but when something is really, you have to teach a law that's a really important law that people should definitely not do. So you have to be very clear and direct. And then the Mishnah brought the example that one says to, uh, to um, give one's child, pass it through fire for Molech, and, but explains it not that way, but instead goes and impregnates an Aramean woman. All right, this is referring to someone who will explain the Pasuk as a Jew who has relations with a non-Jew and has a child who will um, inevitably, uh, most likely grow up to be an Oved Avodah Zarah. And if he explains it that way, then that's an incorrect explanation, even though this is also a bad thing to do, but it's a different bad thing uh, to do. Um, by the way, this, is, this, uh, this statement is quoted by Rabbi Uziel in a really interesting teshuvah about abortion. He says, generally, abortion is not allowed. But he has a complicated case of someone who um, impregnated a non-Jew. And now the question is, can they uh, uh, assist or, or suggest a non-Jew to have an abortion? Uh, so technically, no, it's not allowed. However, there is an, another prohibition this person will have, which is when the child is born and will be an idolater, that father is responsible for 
for causing idolatry. And that is a bigger sin than performing an abortion. I am not giving you all the details of that case, um, but because of that, he says, it's okay for that person to, um, uh, it's okay for that person to um, perform the abortion. Then the question is, can you hire someone else to do it? Okay, complicated, but anyway, it's related to this uh, statement here. Mishnah. Uh, in those days, whenever they read Torah and Haftarah, they would have a translator next to them translating each pasuk. And that, but uh, there are some exceptions. <laughs> the, the story about Reuven, who, uh, uh, in, 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 if you read the pasukim explicitly, uh, says Reuven slept with his uh, stepmother uh, Bilha. Um, so that story is, is read. It's part of the Torah. You can't skip any Pesukim in the Torah, so you certainly have to read it. But the translator, we tell, we tell the translator, take a break, right? This is public company. We don't want people here. It's not uh, respectful to the Uven. Gemara elsewhere says, no, he didn't really sleep with, with Bilha. He just moved the beds. Um, so that's a, a different way of uh, lowering the, uh, the uh, uh, severity of the story. Okay, Tamar The story about um, Yehuda and Tamar. Uh, she she dresses up like a like a harlot, and Yehuda uh, goes and sleeps with her, and so on. That is read and is translated. The Gemara will explain because Yehuda does teshuva at the end, even though it's negative at the beginning. The story about Cheta Egel we do read and we do translate. The second one we read but don't translate. Now there's not two egels, so it's rather referring to within Shemot Perek Lamed Bet. From the first half, it, it, the narrative describes the whole story of Cheta Egel, and you have to read that story. It's an important story, and you have to even translate it so everybody knows what it is. But the second one is referring to when Aharon, when Moshe comes down, Aharon reports to Moshe what happened. And when in his report, he, cha- he, he smooths out a certain detail. And for that reason, we don't translate it. The Gemara will explain. We read, but don't translate. Gemara will explain why. The story about David and Amnon is also read, but not translated. What is referring to? Sounds like it's referring to two different things. The story of David, perhaps David with Bathsheba, and uh, Amnon, uh, who who then who uh, who rapes his sister. Um, so that sounds like both of these stories. You can read them as a haftarah, but don't translate them. Um, but the Gemara will take the word David differently and say David as it relates to Amnon, um, as we'll see. Okay, en maftirin ba merkava. One cannot say uh, use use the maaseh merkava in Yechezkel chapter one as a haftarah. Um, these are this is a very deep uh, deep matter, and uh, you know only only very few people can delve into Maaseh Merkava. So we don't want to read it publicly because then people will start coming and asking, "What does this mean? What does that mean?" And so just don't read it at all. Pick something else. But it be Yehuda Matir. Yehuda says it is allowed, and we follow the minority opinion of the be Yehuda because on Shavuot. The Haftarah is, in fact, Yechezkel chapter one. We want to, in the Haftarah, we want to try to parallel the uh, extreme uh, uh, 
the, the, the great miracle and the great experience of the theophany of Har Sinai. And so we do that with Yechezkel chapter one. Rabbi Eliezer Omer, Emaftirin Behoda et Yerushalayim. Rabbi Eliezer says, you cannot use Haftada of Yechezkel chapter 16, uh, the beginning there, um, which is, let make known the abominations of Jerusalem, how Jerusalem's uh, uh, mother and father were foreign nations, and meaning uh, a reference to uh, people in Jerusalem who were doing all kinds of uh, sins and uh, uh, improper, um, improper sexual relations. And so since it speaks derogatively about Jerusalem, about the Jewish people, this is not an appropriate thing, uh, a chapter to say in a haftarah. Pick something else. Okay, Gemara will explain each one. Okay, Gemara is going to quote a, a long braita, it's paralleled in the Tosefta, that expands. There's more cases than the Mishnah, and but it also includes most of the cases of the Mishnah. And here has three categories. Some par- some chapters are read and translated. Most, most are. Uh, some, however, are read but not translated, and some are not read and not translated at all. And that's only going to be from Nevi'im because the, the, everything in the Torah we read. Um, if you want an, uh, an acronym to remember it, you read Balat Akan Nashva, Siman. Okay, so the Bet is going to stand for Maase Bereshit Nikra Umitargem. You can read Bereshit uh, chapter one and translate it. So we ask Peshita, of course, I mean, everything is innocent until, until proven guilty. Like, why would I think why would I think not? Because if you start reading about Hashem creating the world, then people will start asking, wait, what's above the heaven? What's below the earth? What was before Hashem created the world? Was there a, how did Hashem, was there a, a previous creator that created that? Um, what's after? What happens at the end? These are all inappropriate questions. Nobody has a good answer to them. Nobody knows. And only people just come up with theories that are probably wrong and will mis- be misleading. So one might have thought, don't talk about creation at all. Um, but this, therefore, the, the Tosefta comes to teach and says, yes, read it. There's a lot of important lessons in Bereshit Aleph about why Hashem created the world, the nature, what are places in the world. So you got to deal with it somewhat. And uh, we'll, still, uh, we'll still make sure to avoid any uh, incorrect uh, theories. The story about Lot when he uh, uh, gets drunk and uh, his, when his, they think there's nobody else in the world and his two daughters get him drunk um, and sleep with him, this story is read and is translated. So Pishita, why not? We might have thought this is disrespectful to Abraham. Lot is his nephew, and look, uh, look how he he acts. This is not not nice. It's I mean, it's shameful. I mean, he, even though he's drunk and all that, but um, it's uh, this is shameful to Abraham. So Kamashmalan, okay, it's his nephew, but he's, he wasn't there. He's not responding. He didn't tell him to do this, um, or he didn't want this to happen, and so it's okay. Of course, why shouldn't we read the story about Tamar and Yehuda? Yehuda takes Tamar and does that kind of yibum unknowingly, but he thinks it's a zona, so it's uh, disrespectful. We might think it's not it's disrespectful to Yehuda that he went and slept with a with a zona. So this teaches us you should read it. And translate it because 
at the end of the story, Yehuda admits that what he did wrong and he does the right thing. He says, Sadakamimeni. And so that's actually a praise of Yehuda to tell the story. We, of course, you should read the story about the Egel. Maybe you'll say that's disrespectful to Israel to say right after Matan Torah, they go and they worship this idol and Terrible. So, no, the reason we do read it is so that we should read not only about the sin, but also about the atonement that they receive from Hashem. And therefore, that will prompt us, even if we uh, make a mistake and we sin, we also should pray, make teshuvah. Hashem is uh, merciful. And that's precisely the, what the reason that we read this. One of the most often are read parsiyot, to read it on every uh, fast day um, to put ourselves in, and uh, think about what their position they were in and how if they could make Teshuvah and Hashem could atone for them, then we can too. <laughs> the blessings and curses at the end of Vayikra and at the end of Arim are read and are translated even though there's a lot of very difficult scenes in there. Pishita, um, of course, why not? Maybe you'll say that the people are going to be depressed, dismayed. They're going to they're gonna think of these curses as being, as being predictions, like it's, like it's inevitable that they're going to happen. And, uh, you know, the people don't want to hear this. They're going to be, uh, you know, they're going to be all depressed. Kamashmalan, so teach, no, you should teach it anyway. After all, they are warnings. If if you follow uh, negative ways and don't follow the laws and uh, and all that, then these things will happen. So it's good to read them. So you have the warnings, and then you make sure to do the right thing, and that way <laughs> the negative won't happen. Nowadays, a lot of uh, communities, my community, we read the kalalot in a softer voice. So that, um, in a way, it's actually more dramatic uh, when you do that, because uh, there's so such terrible things. Um, in general, warnings and punishments throughout the Torah, different laws, they have a warning, don't do this, or else, this is chayab mita, this is something else. You read them, and yes, you translate them. Peshita, of course you do. This is really interesting. We might have thought that if you read of the punishments, then the person, people will come to follow the mitzvot only out of fear. They're going to be, oh, okay, I better not do that because, oh, it has a punishment. And this is a very low level of worshiping Hashem. You're only doing it out of fear, uh, fear, fear of punishment and uh, hope for reward. Those are external things. It's better to do it out of love because I love Hashem, because I love his mitzvot and I want to do them, right? That's a much better a reason. Anyone who is as an employee, you'd much rather employee who believes in the, in the, in the goal of the business and do, is doing it out of love, even if you get paid also and not just uh, for a pay and not just because you're afraid you get, you're going to get fired. And so we might have thought, don't read them, don't read the curses, or the punishments at all. Kamashbalan, that you read them, right? And the person will acknowledge, you understand the severity of something, but a person can still know that and also uh, do things out of love uh, for because it's good in, in and of itself. Tosefta adds, see here it says, Amnon and Tamar, not David and Amnon. Uh, so that's a little bit clearer <laughs> in this version. Um, is read, he slept with his uh, sister. Um, Avshalom slept with his uh, father's concubine. 
um, in a kind of an attempt, uh, attempted coup. And so that's, these are both negative. Nevertheless, they are read and translated. Pishita, of course they should be. This is actually not so pashut. Most of these questions are like, not pashita. I guess the point is, uh, we, we should assume that everything in Tanakh you should read and translate, unless you give me an argument otherwise. So you have to tell me why not. David. Uh, well, both of these are, uh, we might be concerned about the honor of David and see how his son, his, these two sons do these awful things. So maybe it's not appropriate to, to read Kamash Malan, that yes, we read them anyway. Um, they're his sons. It's, uh, <laughs> um, and the, these sons in the end are not you know, chosen to be the next king. So it's important to know what happened there. All right, the terrible story about in Binyamin, uh, how this Pilegish was there and all night people were abusing her. A terrible story. Um, nevertheless, read it and translate it. Pishita, of course you should. Well, you might think that's dishonorable to Binyamin. Nevertheless, you have to read it. I mean, all these stories that are that are quoted in in Nevi'im, you know, Nevi'im is not just a, a book of, of happy-go-lucky, everything's great. I think there's a reason why the Nevi'im included all these negative stories, because it's important to know this history. It's important to learn lessons from it about and, and warnings about how things could go wrong. So these have to be have to be understood. Uh, okay, that we mentioned this in the Mishnah, and uh, according to the Mishnah said, according to Bieliezer saying, don't read it. But Tosefta says this chapter in in Yecheskel, uh, which talks about the abominations done in Yerushalayim, yes, read it and translate it. Peshita, we say, of course, why not? We have to teach this so that you won't follow the minority opinion of the Beliezer, who was quoted in the Mishnah. One time, so there was a, a, a reader, and he was reading in front of the Beliezer, and he read the Haftarah. By the way, it sounds like there was some uh, leeway about choice of, uh, you know, which haftarah, you want to read this haftarah or that haftarah. That's probably why even until today, different communities, Ashkenazim, Sfaradim, Temanim, sometimes they have different haftarot, uh, because there were some choices. So this person read this uh, this chapter in Yechezkel. Bebeliezer tells him something really harsh. So it's like, who are you to read this parasha? But, but, but before, before you go and announce all the abominations that uh, Jerusalem did, why don't you check your own family and uh, do, do some investigation about the abominations that your mother did? And they did. But after he announced that, uh, they did an investigation and they found that his mother had illicit relations. That means this guy is, uh, uh, you know, maybe uh, might not be Jewish, maybe a mamzer. And the uh, problem. So the point here of Bieliez is, um, oh, you know, most people, you, you should not give rebuke to someone if you are guilty of the very same crime. And uh, and so who's who's worthy to go and say these harsh words against Yerushalayim? You know, you, you, you're you going to go and say these things? Um, so therefore, best not to say them according to the Bieliezer. However, the rest of the sages do not agree with them, right? Yeah, you're reading uh, the words of the Navi. And so they say, yes, it's totally fine. You can use that. Now, the next category, you read, but don't translate. And we have another mnemonic for this. Uh, we read the story about Uben, but we don't translate it. 
ומעשה ברבי חנינה בן גמליה שהלך לכאבול, רון תרבי חנינה went to Kabul in Iraq, we know where that is now, והיה קורא חזן הכנסת והיא בשכון ישראל, אמר לו מתורגמן הפסק אל תתרגם אל האחרון ושיבחו חכמים. And so when the חזן הכנסת, the Baal Kore, read this פסוק, he told the translator, don't translate um, and, and, until the end, only the end of the פסוק translated. And the sages said, oh, that was a nice thing to do. Right, here's the full פסוק. וישכון ישראל בארץ ההיא, וילך ראובן, וישכב את בלהה פילגש אביב, וישמע ישראל. So it says, you know, in the, uh, in the Peshat that Ruben slept with Abilha, his, his father's concubine, and Israel and Israel, Yaakov heard about it. And then there's a new paragraph break, um, even though it's in the middle of a pasuk, it's very unusual. And it says at the end that the children of Yaakov were 12. And the end of that pasuk seems to be connected because it's saying, even though Ruben did a terrible sin, Nevertheless, he wasn't kicked out of the, of the nation. He was still part of it, even though he did something wrong. He won't be, he won't be the leader as Bechor, um, but they are still 12. So therefore, you shouldn't not translate the whole Pasuk. <laughs> just, trans, just don't translate the, mid, uh, the, the beginning. But the end is nice to translate. And uh, that, uh, I think, would explain why it starts a new paragraph. Just say, Bnei Yaakov had 12 children. Uh, something happened, but don't worry about it. Everything's okay now. Good. So Gemara's confused. What do you mean? What second? What what second uh, uh, golden calf is there? I know there's two uh, there's two uh, ten commandments, but there's no second uh, golden calf after the second one. He means mean Moshe ad Moshe. No, it's talking about when Moshe comes down and starts speaking to Haron. Says Haron, what happened? What'd you do? And then Haron says. Um, well, you don't know, Moshe, uh, the people, they brought the, the gold and we put it in the fire and just out came a, out came a, a golden calf. Aaron was saying it in that way to try to excuse himself, saying like, you know, like it all happened so fast. It just kind of happened on its own. So that's, that's the language Aaron used. But that language can be misconstrued. Someone can say, oh, look, Aaron just said that miraculously this golden calf formed itself and came out of the fire. That might sound like the golden calf really has power and maybe is really some kind of uh, true idol. And so therefore we don't read that because we don't want anyone to get that, to get that misimpression. Tanya, Rabbi Shimon ben Azar Omer, And we learn from this, a person should always be very careful in his responses, because the response that Adon told Moshe, because of that response, many skeptics renounced their, uh, their, their true beliefs. And they said, look at it, it says in the Pasuk um, that Aaron threw in the gold into the fire and the Egel came out uh, by itself. So you know, maybe you want to, you, you, you're, you're trying to cover up something and, and make it sound better. Um, but uh, if you're not being precise, then actually your words can be understood to be worse. And so therefore, until today, we will not translate the second half of Shemot. Okay. Sounds very nice. What's the problem with that? That you wouldn't translate. Because it says, Yisa Hashem Panav. 
And that sounds like Hashem is giving favoritism to you, to the Jewish people. And so it's a beautiful blessing. But if you translate it and everybody understands it, then the non-Jews will say, oh, what kind of thing is that? He only cares about you. Hashem only shows, shows you favoritism and anybody else. So therefore, we don't translate it. Okay, now, according to this here, we have David and Amnon um, is read, but not translated. <laughs> Hold on, you just said, right, in the beginning of this uh, same Baraita, no, so this is the Mishnah. The Mishnah says, is not read and is not translated. Um, actually, our Mishnah did not say this. This is a slightly different version of the Mishnah. Um, and so <coughs> um, it's, it's, it's curious here. The Gemara has a different version. Um, according to this, David and Amnon is not read and not, not, not translated at all. That's the version of the Mishnah that they seem to have. Um, and hold on. But um, I'm sorry, let me just uh, uh, explain. Right. So uh, wait a second. Didn't you say in the Tosefta, right, this Tosefta here that it's read? Um, and translated. So which one is it? Is it what the Mishnah says, which is more uh, restrictive? Don't read it. And in this version, don't, don't, don't translate it. Or what we have in the Tosefta, which is read it and translate it. And we say, Lakashya, it's not a contradiction. Hadikhtiv Amnon ben David, Hadikhtiv Amnon setama. If it's a pasuk that says Amnon ben David, if it relates Amnon to David, skip that, because that's disrespectful to, to David. But if it just says Amnon's name by itself, then you can read that, then you can read that pasuk. And uh, here you can see here in the, um, in the story, it's only four pasukim long. It says, So Absalom, had, the son of David, had a, had, a, had a sister, a beautiful sister, whose name was Tamar, and Amnon, the son of David, loved her. So here, because this is Amnon ben David, this, you know what, we're going to skip. Um, and that's what the Mishnah was saying, you know, don't, don't either don't say it at all, or the other version that we have in the Mar Mishnah, read it, but don't translate it. The next two Pesukim, however, just refer to Amnon, by himself, by his own name. It says Amnon, Amnon, So this, since it's not related to David, it's okay to say something negative about Amnon, because uh, we're not directly uh, insulting David. The third, but the last Pesuk says, Ben HaMelech calls him, calls Amnon Ben HaMelech. And so therefore that Pesuk, you would not either not read or not translate. Uh, so we want to avoid a direct mention of David, uh, David's uh, relation to Amnon, but you can't tell the story about Amnon himself. Okay, and I think that, the, that the, this would explain why the Mishnah calls it Maseh David and Amnon. Whenever it talks about David connected to Amnon, then we either don't read it or don't translate it. Okay, finally, a new Baraita that says any, any, any pasuk that says something in a very negative way, a, very, a coarse word, uh, we, should, we should read it in a, in a positive way, more, a more positive way. In the curses at the end of Devarim, it says you will be, in, uh, you will be, do, uh, be engaged to someone and someone else will come and yishagelna. Yishagelna is to, uh, someone else will take her and uh, rape her. It's, it's like a curse word. And so this is, is the, but the, but what it says, 
um, in the uh, in, in the in the Torah it says but it's a kriyuchtiv. It's written yishagelna, but when we read it until today, we read it according to the kedi, which is yishkavena. We'll sleep with her, not well, you know, a curse word, something her. Um, it's not it's not appropriate to read that in public, even though that actually is the curse. But polim, batechorim. Also, in the cur- in the curses there, it says people uh, people curse with hemorrhoids. It's not a, a very coarse word, not a nice word to say. So we say just techorim, uh, uh, a plague, uh, you know, a disease. Chidyonim, divyonim, and uh, in, uh, in Melachim was talking about. Um, uh, a, a ne- negative thing that's going to happen to B'nai Israel in the siege. It mentions chidyonim. We don't read. We don't read the word chidyonim, which means uh, doves dung, but rather divyonim, which is like loose uh, uh, pouring out from the uh, from the doves. Um, the context is uh, we'll see next pasuk. This is when Jerusalem is besieged and Rav Shakir, the enemy outside, says, you know what's going to happen? You see, you're going to run out of food and people are going to have to eat their own chodehem, their own excrement. And people are going to be so desperate, they're going to drink their own memeshinehem, uh, the drink that comes out of, well, literally teeth. So maybe it means the, you know, the, 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 the teeth uh, of one's bottom. Um, and so if you would, you know, really translate this, you would, uh, it would be like saying uh, they would eat their uh, SHIT or, you know, something like that. It's terrible. You can't say this. Therefore, we read it in, in nicer words to suatam literally means excrement. That, that's what comes, which comes out. Or the, the water of their legs. So that's a, a, a more a nicer euphemism than the, the terrible words that Rav Shakeh had said. Question? How is this consistent? Because earlier we were saying that, like, for example, in the end of uh, Devarim, you're supposed to say the, the, the curses. And here it's saying, no, no you're supposed to change it. Whatever. How That's right. This- yeah. Okay, good. So there is a, it looks like a bit of a, a contradiction before we said that you should not you, you, you should you have to read and translate the curses. Important people to, to know the the negative consequences of our, our of our possible actions. So we'll do better. So yes, you have to read them. I think this is this is only talking about these particularly coarse uh, 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 curse words. That is just uh, is too much, right? And you'll get the idea um, by by the softer language. Um, but you don't just don't you don't skip uh, the translation altogether. So you have the translation, and you just say um, you know you just say uh, disease instead of hemorrhoids. Okay, lemochraot lemosaot. Um, so into latrines is uh, refined to the outhouse. Uh, it's a nicer word. The Biosha says, hold on, look at the context there. There we're making fun of Avodazara. And so there they says the, the temples and the, the of the idols are going to be turned into uh, latrines. Yeah, we should use a negative word. Don't see, don't say a nicer word. We want to make fun of Avodazara. It's going to be um, a disgusting place. Amarav Nachman Kole Sanuta de Asir Bar Meles Sanuta da Vodazara de Sharie. Nachman says, if any mockery, in, mockery is not allowed. You're not allowed to mock people. It's not nice, except if you're mocking idolatry. 
then it's good. It'll keep people away and show how silly it is. After all, we see the Nevi'im in Yeshaya. He says, Bel is bowing down. Nevu is stooping like they're crouching in order to, uh, to defecate. And they can't. They're all stopped up. Right? This is uh, making fun of these, uh, these, uh, 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 this idolatry. Uh, that they they can't even uh, they can't even relieve themselves. Rabbi Anayamar Mehachal Eglot Bet Aven Yaguru Shechen Oshomeron Ki Aval Alav Amo Uchmarav Alav Yagilu Al Kevodo Ki Galamimenu Al Tikre Kevodo Ela Kebedo Pasukan Oshea says inhabitants of Samaria will be in dread for the calves of Bet Aven. There's people who will mourn over it. And the priest will tremble over it for its glory because it departed from it. So it's saying that the people are going to mourn over the loss of this idolatry and its glory. Don't read glory, but rather its burden, meaning, again, that it won't be able to relieve itself. These gods will be constipated, uh, making fun of how they, have, they can't do any, they have no power. They can't even have any power over their own bodies. <laughs> Okay, a person is allowed, a Jew is allowed to tell a, a non-Jew, an idolater, he says, take your idol and stick it in your shintav. Why does shintav uh, mean baraks? It could mean that in some, uh, 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 she quotes a pasuk that means that. Uh, perhaps it means shintav, meaning the last two letters of the alphabet. You know, put it in your end. Uh, okay, uh, someone has a bad reputation as a philanderer. You can humiliate him, call him a gimelshin. Uh, he knows what that means. Okay, we're not actually sure what gimelshin means. Uh, perhaps it's an acronym for Girata Sariya, uh, son of a putrid harlot, whereas other people offer other things. And so these are uh, ancient, ancient version, versions of uh, foul language. Um, a person who has a good reputation. So it's a, it's a mitzvah to praise that person. And you, know, and you say, may, may blessings come on his head. Mazal tov, mazal tov. And so it's nice that we end on a positive note after all these negative things. And so just as a, more important than than uh, making fun of negative things is praising good actions. Um, and so may these blessings come upon our head as, as well in merit of finishing this third perek. Amen.